What's up guys? Welcome to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. My name is Greg and today we're going to be going over a previously posted blog article. This was uh, first listed on fitforfootball.com titled The Athlete Monitoring Startup Kit by John Grace. Athlete monitoring systems are making their way into the vast majority of professional Division I programs and even starting to trickle down to the Division II, Division Three, and even high school levels. Uh, and many of the latter coaches um, don't have access to a sports science team or fancy equipment, but they want to optimize their training process and get in on the athlete monitoring action too. So here we want to simplify the process of deciding how and with what technology we will we can implement the system. So there first there's a few bare minimum first steps in the decision making that will help us get started. So first we want to ask and answer the questions, what do I want to know and how will I use this new information to direct my training? Okay, so one is decide what exactly is useful information for your purpose. And then uh, in terms of how we'll use the information, if we don't have a purpose for it, we're more or less just wasting time. Secondly, we want to know that we are training hard enough for monitoring to even be useful. So we think of good training as the basics where athlete monitoring is the more complex that we can add to optimize our training process. When it comes down to it, the purpose of monitoring in general is to get a clearer picture of the athlete's body's response to training and its ability to adapt to the loads given. And really this is the goal of um, periodization, it's, it's taking an educated guess on when to stress and when to rest the athlete. So in periodization or program uh, writing, this is based on the structure of the program in the eye of the coach. Uh, we want to get a clearer picture into more of the biology side of things with our athlete monitoring. And monitoring isn't, it's not exclusive to high budget programs. Um, the new and expensive tech does not necessarily mean uh, useful. So really it's how you use the information that matters. So here we're trying to simplify the process of obtaining useful information. So first, a couple basic concepts to understand, um, a few definitions really here to start. So we want to look at the differences between internal load, which is physiological and psychological stress an athlete feels that they incurred from training. So something like RPE, rating of perceived exertion, versus external load, which is the quantitative amount of work the athlete did, so more like sets and reps. And we want to look at the difference between subjective data, which is going to tell us information on the state of the athlete from their point of view, like a survey, versus objective data. So this is our me measurable information based on observation or testing, something like GPS data. So there's a nice chart that John included in the article, um, really kind of graphing out the uh, different types of monitoring systems that hit all these different points. So if we think an internal subjective test is something like a wellness survey or a session RPE, okay, it's how the athlete felt from their point of view, versus an external subjective could be the coach's assessment. So um, still subjective, but now someone besides the athlete is assessing the load. 
Now, if we go internal objective, so what's happening inside the athlete from an objective standpoint, we have things like heart rate variability, heart rate load, um, blood lactate, resting heart rate. So things that we can measure that are happening in the body. And if we go objective external, we look at GPS, uh, velocity-based training, or session duration, or um, vertical jump monitoring. So it's objective, we get a number that we measure, and it's something external um, that, we can, that we can measure. So with all of this, what type of information is the best? So it really depends on the context, but it's best if we don't choose just one route. So research indicates that it's best to use internal and external load as an indicator of fatigue. And again, so your external is your sets, reps, your load for a session. Internal is how the athlete is affected by that load. So that's very individual. Um, so we need to make sure we have basically a, um, a full picture by diversifying which types of monitoring we use. So the athlete's perception and the physiological reaction may differ. So we need to make sure we have something that gives us a picture into both. We also want to diversify our subjective and objective information. So they both have their pros and cons. Something like a subjective survey is super simple, but can turn into athletes giving robotic answers over time or exaggerating answers if they know that it's going to have an effect on their training load um, that can skew our training prescription. Um, more objective data, something like tech-based data like GPS, okay, our technology has occasional flaws, but uh, what if we simply can't travel with it? Or what if it abruptly fails? Um, when we have these gaps in our monitoring or our data collection, these can be problematic if we're only using one monitoring route. So the goal is to get a 360-degree view of the athlete, diversify choices among each quadrant of the chart that we just talked about, and when we're missing pieces out of necessity, we just can't use something, we have to be a lot more critical of the analysis of what we do have. So a simple example of combining types of data, we think uh, we'll look at RPE and session duration as a combination. So it's looking at internal subjective and external objective data. So let's assume we have three athletes, all of them trained for 90 minutes at practice. Each of them is gonna, each of them gave a different RPE based on their perception of the training. So that can uh, mostly gonna correlate with the actual work done, but their RPE is um, different for each one at the same session duration. If we multiply RPE by session duration, each is gonna have a different combined training load um, as calculated by that equation. So we can't assume that the same training session had the same effect on each athlete. Um, so using both the internal subjective and external objective as, um, as a combination of data, we get a lot more information than we would with any separately. Okay, so once we've selected the metrics that we want to track, we need data history. Okay, we need to collect data. Ideally, as much data and as consistently as possible. So like one daily sample of information can, can have value, but we want the whole picture, not just a part. So we want like the whole photo, not just a pixel of the photograph. Um, so this allows us to see patterns, trends, 
rolling average, uh, something we'll talk about more, or, or like a baseline. So it's going to take anywhere from one to four weeks of data collection to make meaningful changes to our training based on what we see. So one is going to be on the short end and four probably on the long end of what's needed to be able to make these changes to our training based on the data. And during that time period, as I said, gaps in, gaps in our data are also pixels missing from the photograph. So if we say collect data for 60 days, but we have periods of two to three days or four or five days without, uh, throughout that we're missing, it's going to skew our average or it can throw off our trends or our rolling average, which is what we compare our baseline, uh, may be just simply off. So as an example of why we need this data history, we can look at something that, like a sleep quality survey. Okay? So let's say, again, we have three athletes. All are going to report their sleep quality on a scale of 1 to 10. So 10 being great sleep, 1 being poor sleep, not, not in hours, but in quality. So let's say all of them report a 7. So the 7 could be better or worse than their actual rolling average of the last, let's say, 7 days. So a 7 for one individual could be less than their average of 10. They get great sleep, but this time they were 3 points less. But seven could also be better than someone else who gets really poor sleep. So they actually got better sleep that night. So it kind of shows you that just because it's a seven doesn't give you the whole story. One data set from that day didn't tell you the whole story. We needed the data history and that rolling average that we set a baseline from to be able to decide, is this actually good or bad? So as we move forward here, we'll look at two main reasons that we might change training based on the data we collect. One is we have too many consecutive days with high fatigue, which may increase our likelihood for injury. The other would be too many consecutive days with low fatigue, which would result in detraining. So generally, three to four days is kind of the allowable limit in either direction. Up to that point, we may just see slight variation, which may be normal, but certainly beyond that point, we're going to increase our likelihood for injury or, or a detraining effect. Um, now, in terms of action to fix the problem of too much fatigue, what do we do? We can reduce the practice load either by uh, subjective RPE or um, an external factor such as duration, session duration of practice. Um, we can reduce weight room volume, let's say, if we're in the weight room, by 20% or maybe more depending on the severity of the fatigue. Uh, we, can add a we can add recovery methods to the schedule such as massage or cold tub if that's um, what tends to help that athlete or hot tub, etc. cetera. Uh, or we can just add a, simply a day off. They might just need that much rest. On the other side of that, if we have too little fatigue or not enough work to maintain their fitness level, we can add specific fitness work after practice or games if their load from that day was lower than we like it to be. So with this kind of dense and specific fitness work, um, even like something like 10 minutes can be enough to make sure that they're either on par with the rest of the team or um, stimulated enough to improve to the level that we need them to. 
Another uh, method could be just increase their weight room volume or their intensity. This is obviously context specific if they're spending a lot of time in the weight room, but it can be another way to add work to that individual. Finally, we need to address some logistical considerations for implementing our monitoring system. Uh, so one thing we need to think about is reducing the time and amount of steps involved for the athlete in order to increase compliance. So our athletes don't necessarily want to do extra work on top of the practice and, and getting ready for games and everything like that. So we want to think about things like having a GPS unit ready and already input or inserted into their practice gear or you know if it's a survey it's a quick survey uh, it's not something that's going to take them 10 minutes it's relatively simple answers um, you know on and on so we want to reduce the steps and amount of time involved and we can ask ourselves a question quite simply if we didn't have this data how much would it matter now when you answer that it might help you determine the value of the time you're spending on this monitoring. So if this is really important data, it might we might just need to spend more time collecting it. But if it's something that we're getting maybe minimal value from, but we still get some benefit, then we want to make sure it's not obtrusive to our training time. Now, after your data collection, the second thing we need to think of is, can we use this information quickly? So this shouldn't be difficult or time consuming data to decipher. So if, if it takes the entire practice to figure out what our surveys actually meant, then it's already too late. So when data processing takes longer, such as, you know, if we need to create reports or something uh, based on our technology, uh, we need to make the necessary and most useful pieces accessible first. Um, so, you know, if we have a combination of monitoring tools, let's say before practice surveys need to be um, readable in a way that coaches can understand them quickly enough to make an effect or make a change to practice in, if need be. Things like GPS data from practice, those can be reported afterward for the next day, um, but again, need to be done quickly enough to have an effect on the next training session. The third thing we need to think about is is our data easy enough for coaches to read and interpret? So if you, if you are part of a sports science team or even just a strength coach who, who knows a lot about this stuff, um, you know, your data, your raw data might be easy for you to understand, but we need to simplify results for coaches who, one, may not have the, the sports science background that you do, or two, don't have the time to look at it that you do. So simplifying our results by use of things like let's say a stoplight um, in terms of the colors for fatigue levels. So if we can quickly go through and assign a red, yellow, or green light to players who either have high, medium, or low fatigue, then it's really simple for a coach to look down through the list, see where their team is at generally, and make a quick decision um, for their training session. And then the other thing is just to simply give them what they ask for. So if coach knows that the things that he want to see is XYZ, make sure we have XYZ available and not every other letter of the alphabet that they aren't as concerned with. So to review, let's go over what we just talked about here. So we need to make sure we train hard enough for monitoring to actually matter. That's always step one. Good training first, um, add the complex for optimization after. We want to use a combination of internal, external, 
subjective and objective data to get the best 360 degree view of our athlete's training load. We wanna create relative baselines and consistent data. Um, they're gonna be necessary to make changes to our training. Okay, so we talked about the rolling average, the baselines and consistency, not having gaps in our training or in our data collection so that we can actually use it to make changes accurately. Next, don't let the athletes spend too much time in high or low fatigue states. So again, this is where we talked about the, the three to four days of allowable variation after which we need to start making changes to training to make sure we're not detraining or um, just spending too much time in fatigue states is going to increase our likelihood for injuries and decrease performance for that matter. And then lastly, we need to think logistics. So is this simple enough that we can implement? Is it, uh, can we read the data quickly enough? Is the data interpretable for our coaches so we can make on-the-spot decisions when we need to and we can make more in-depth decisions based on the data uh, when we have the time to do so? So to wrap up, if you want to read a little more about this, we couldn't quite cover every single piece of the article. It's a great article that John wrote here on fitforfootball.com. If you go through there and search for the Athlete Monitoring Startup Kit, um, you can take a look and comment if you have any questions either on this or the article directly, and we'd be glad to hear your feedback.